Welcome to High Truths on Drugs and Addiction, where national experts bring you facts and answer your questions. I'm your host, Dr. Onit Lev, an emergency and addiction doctor who has worked at the White House and still practices on the front lines. Right here on High Truths, you will learn from experts, hear stories from the emergency department, and listen to people who have struggled from addiction. Each episode, we will answer questions from you, our listeners. To learn more about the show, submit a question, access educational material, or even take a quiz, you can visit us on HighTruths.com. Hi, everyone. High Truths is going to Hollywood. We have talked to doctors, scientists, pharmacists, patients, pot shop owners, toxicologists, treatment counselors, federal leaders, local leaders, bishops, inventors, law enforcement agents, and today we bring you, dun ta an American film director, producer, and writer. Nicholas Jarecki is a screenwriter, director, producer of Crisis, released in theaters February 26th and on digital on demand on March 5th. The center of the movie is fentanyl, a drug we are unfortunately very familiar with. Around fentanyl is a triangle of an undercover DEA agent whose sister is addicted to drugs, a mother who is recovering from an oxycodone addiction and whose son disappears, and a university professor doing research on a new magic pain medicine funded by Big Pharma. The rest is a collision of their stories and a dramatic thriller. The stars are Gary Oldman as Dr. Tyrone Brower, Army Hammer as Jack Kelly, and Evangeline Lilly as Claire Ryman. We reach out to Nick, and he immediately agreed to join us on High Truths. Let me share a little bit about his background. Nicholas Jarecki was born in New York and started his career at the age of 16 when he was hired as a technical consultant for the film Hackers. He noticed that there was a guy out there that all the actors seemed to really look up to and respect. And he asked, who is that guy? And they told him that was the director. And from then on, that was clear to him that he wanted to be that guy. Nicholas Jarecki is a young protege graduating from New York University at the young age of 19. He went on to direct music videos in order to get noticed by the film community. When he couldn't break in right away, he wrote a book about it, Breaking In, How 20 Film Directors Got Their Start. And that's how he got his start. His film credits include Hackers, The Outsiders, Tyson, The Informers, The Weight, Arbitrage, and Crisis. Nicholas Jarecki's bio is included in the High Truth show notes, as well as a special treat of behind-the-scenes photos. I wanted to start with sharing a question from Cindy Cipriani. She's a great friend, and she co-chairs the San Diego Prescription Drug Task Force. Hi, Nick. My name is Cindy Cipriani, and I co-chair the San Diego Prescription Drug Task Force. I want to congratulate you on the film. I was impressed by how well you weave together three very different perspectives on the opioid crisis. Two questions for you. I recognize the struggles in this movie as I've had personal experience with addiction in my family, and I wondered if you were compelled to take on the project because addiction has touched your life as well. And question number two, unfortunately, fentanyl ODs have tripled in our county last year, and it's devastated hundreds of families. I'm wondering if you would lend your voice to maybe help us convey ways to avoid future overdoses. Thanks very much for your consideration, Nick. Nick, welcome to High Truths. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here with you, Ronit. Um, how are you? 
I am great. And it is such an honor to have you here on High Truths. You are our very first um, film industry expert. And I know my listeners are going to absolutely love you. They hear from doctors and scientists and various health professionals. And this will be a whole new angle to the addiction crisis in America and the name of your film, Crisis. Um, so really a special treat for us. So Cindy asks if you were compelled to take on this project because addiction has touched your life as well. Yes, in, indeed. Um, well, <clears throat> Cindy, thank you for your question, where, wherever you are, if you're listening. Um, yeah, you know, the genesis of this project was um, almost 15 years ago now. Uh, I had a very good friend, and uh, he's not with us anymore. We lost him to opioid abuse. Um, and it, it, it started rather innocuously, um, you know, with pills. Um, and he was a very bright young man, uh, only 29 when he passed away, uh, good family, high IQ, you know, just a wonderful guy. And so he got, you know, he was playing around and playing with these pills and then it, it really took on a great, uh, importance for him. And, and, and all of a sudden he was going through, you know, more and more milligrams and, uh, you know, he actually had some money, but it gets quite expensive. Um, and so, you know, by the time he knew it, he had, I think at the high point, a couple thousand dollar a day habit. Um, and, uh, and so then, you know, what I found in my research later on is that when people reach that state, they kind of go through money. Uh, well, there's a really cheaper, a nice, uh, alternative for them, heroin. And so then he switched over to heroin instead of being, you know, thousand dollars a day, it goes down to a hundred dollars a day. Um, <clears throat> And, you know, once you get to that point, then it's not so good uh, coming back. Uh, and, and, and quite soon after that, he was gone. And we were bewildered. Uh, we, 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 we had the funeral in New York. And, you know, how could this happen? We didn't understand anything. You know, well, guess that's what happens, you know. So flash forward maybe a decade. And I start reading in the New York Times and all these things about the pharmaceutical companies, the manufacturers and what did they know? What didn't they know? The Los Angeles Times had done a wonderful series of articles, really looking inside some of the major manufacturers and getting access to confidential documents. And it was the reporter's supposition that perhaps some of these companies <clears throat> knew a lot more than they might admit um, about the fact, particularly that uh, a certain percentage of people who take the patent medicine as described um, they develop dependence right within the first prescribing window within 30 days because the drug will, especially in case of time release, oxycodone uh, can wear off uh, before the time has elapsed. And so they start to want more. And say, yeah, should I take another pill? You know, <clears throat> so what that's doing is creating a dependence cycle. And then all of a sudden, you know, they get to the end and they've been like, ah, I'm feeling good. Mm, I need it. And, and you do that to your brain enough. And then all of a sudden, oh my God, I'm in, I got to have it. And then what happens, they start to go back to the doctor, doctor will give him pills for another month or two. And then they go, hey, Frank, you know, maybe you shouldn't be taking these pills. By this point, Frank's like, just give me the pills. And then if the doctor cuts them off, they'll doctor shop. And, you know, once they run out of doctor shopping, that's when they'll go to the street for, you know, illicit, illicitly diverted pills. Or in the case we explore in this movie, you know, manufactured pills of fentanyl from precursor or whatever. Um, and then once that kind of runs dry and gets expensive, that's when it's heroin time. So, uh, so I saw that the problem that we had just attributed maybe to a personal failing, um, really was coming out of a lab and it was a systemic issue. 
And I thought, wow, the American public, the world public does not know this. Um, they can't fathom this. You know, it was my last film was Arbitrage with Richard Gere, and we explored the financial crisis of 2008, 2009. Sort of a similar thing where people were like, I don't understand. How could the world economy go upside down? All these smart people, don't they know what they're doing? But sometimes the role of profit, uh, it just gets too, looms too large in the, uh, in, in the way things go. And so I saw that that was, uh, was something that I felt that was really worth exploring. Um, and, and so that was one piece of it. And then we get into the personal user side and the law enforcement side. Yeah. And, you know, your story with your friend, and I'm so sorry, my condolences that, you know, it stays with you really your whole life when you have um, something like that happen. Um, but you're describing um, how um, drugs hijack your dopamine in your brain and makes it your new normal just to get up in the morning and do well becomes requiring that much dopamine, requiring that much drugs just to stay normal, just to that's just to be your baseline. Um, and, and then the chase of that is definitely a very biological disease of the brain. And that's what addiction is. You really describe it so nice. Um, Nick, our High Truths audience probably watches a lot of movies, um, but doesn't have a lot of experience in the industry. What drove you to become a director, producer, writer? Whoa, that's an interesting question. <laughs> um, I think, you know, often these things come from childhood. So I always love films and you know, I do to this day. Um, there are just, a, there are, you know, as my mother says, a bon coupon, they, they, they can make you laugh. They can make you cry. They can take you, um, to these different places. I used to be quite friendly with the, the, the well-known film critic, Roger Ebert passed away a few years ago. And yes. I, I wrote a book about film directors and I met him cause I asked him to write the introduction, but he gave the best description I ever heard of a movie. He said that a movie is an emotion machine. And for most of the audience, they can go into a dark room and they can have a better time in those two hours than they can have outside. And, um, and I like that idea, you know, that you could really deliver this emotional experience to an audience and somehow enrich their pleasure and, you know, their life. But the films that I grew up on, I think, were the films of the 1970s. I watched, like everybody else in my day, Back to the Future and Indiana Jones and enjoy that commercial thing. Um, but my mother, when I was about 15, she said, okay, I got, I want you to watch the Godfather. And I said, um, I, I don't want to watch a black and white movie, you know? And she said, listen, idiot, sit down and put in this tape because to I mother. can't have my son be this dumb, you know? And I did, I said, okay, I'm fine. And I watched it and, oh, I was just blown away. You know, here was this whole new world of, of, of cinema. Of, of the cinema of the mind and of, of ideas. Um, and then I got on a real jag and I started watching all these great 70s social dramas directed by Sidney Lumet, like Al Pacino and Dog Day Afternoon, um, you know, uh, robbing a bank to get a sex change operation. I mean, these were radical ideas of the day or Serpico, the Parallax View, Chinatown. And, and these films in the 70s, they were very interested in the decay of society um, and the darker sides of capitalism. And so I think they really imprinted upon me. And, yeah. um, and that, that got me excited. And then I got, when I was a young man, I was a computer hacker. I was a nerd. I'd stay home, you know, late at night learning to program or whatever. And uh, I was part of a computer hacker club. 
And so in that club, we would meet once a month at the Citicorp Center in Manhattan on 53rd Street. And, and one day in walks Angelina Jolie, Johnny Lee Miller, and Ian Softley, who was directing their film Hackers. And they, someone had written a script about computer hacking. They said, well, we would like a technical advisor. So I took one look at Angelina Jolie and I said, how about me? Uh, and so they said, okay, all right, come down, you're hired. You know. And, and so I got, it, it was a wonderful experience because besides getting out to hang out with Angelina every day, um, I, I, I got to hang out with all of them and I got to see how a film was put together. And they would call me, go, Nick, we need to make a free phone call. How do you do that? Uh, what, what, what's the hacker spirit about? Is you just, were you trying to steal or you know, just no, we're trying to learn. So, but I got to go to the set and I got to hang out with these artists and, and, and that was a wonderful experience. And, and I said, okay, I want to know more about this. And, and I like this figure, the director, uh, you know, all the actors, they seem to pay attention to him and think he knows what he's talking about. So wouldn't that be a nice job for me? And, uh, and then, but, you know, speaking of high truths, <clears throat> uh, film in a way, it's just another addiction. Um, it uh, has occasional positive results, perhaps unlike opioids, um, but, uh, but you definitely spend a lot of time chasing the dragon when it comes to getting money and movie stars to tell your stories. Yeah. Wow. That's inspirational. And I think that your, you know, your, your passion started at a young age. I think like, you know, again, I, I think I want to be a doctor since I was in eighth grade. So you have like okay, this motion and you saw these director, producer, writer, you did it. You're a bright boy. And you listen to your mom. Um, Always it, listen the, to the mom. That's, that's, that's the <laughs> learning. Yeah. And the characters in crisis are relatable. Like I, I can feel and I can like picture who would be each one of them in, in my lives and more than one of them. So what inspired you? Do you have a person that you were thinking of when you developed the characters, the mom, the professor, the DA agent? Well, I love to do a lot of research. Um, <clears throat> so I, um, I, the first thing I did is I hooked up with the LA times reporters and um, uh, Lisa Garion was the, the lead and she she just opened my eyes to this this whole world of pharma. Now I knew it a little bit because I have family members who are involved in the pharma world, um, uh, doing drug discovery and animal testing. <clears throat> so a wonderful friend of ours runs uh, animal testing company, um, you know, where they'll do uh, all kinds of studies on mice. So I mean, all of that's totally real science. Basically, she, Dr. Leahy she opened up the floodgates and she let me come in the lab and understand, you know, all the props in the movie, that's, she helped me build those and design them. So and that's were those, were those mice, stuff. were those mice in the movie, her mice? No, those are special movie mites because we have to oh, have a humane society monitor. So no mites were harmed in the making of this film. <laughs> Unlike in the drug <laughs> okay. discovery industry where uh, 8 million mice a year disappear. And I said to Dr. Leahy at one point, I said, um, <clears throat> what happens to the mice? And she said, oh, well, um, they go to sleep. And, uh, they they don't wake up For, forever yeah. <laughs> um but uh but so 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 that led me into you know an understanding of some of the, the characters in that realm then at the same time lisa put me together with steve opferman and steve was the head of the la sheriff's prescription narcotics task force and so you know almost everything in this movie is is modeled on a real event so this cartel that uh army hammer's character is chasing um, uh, you know, is based on a real syndicate that Steve took down. And so he took me to the, you know, went with the actors to the real places, the real pill mills here in California. I reset it in Montreal. Um, 
But 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 so we saw everything firsthand and looked at the case files, and I knew the real Minas and Armin and the the Armenian cartel, uh, you know, knew who they were, and so and I modeled the character a bit on him, and then a bit on my imagination, and and you know other other characters I'd like from film, you know, Gene Hackman in The French Connection. I mean, who can forget Popeye Doyle, that wonderful performance. Um, so now with Evangeline's character, who plays, you know, in the film, an architect who herself is recovering, recovering from an oxycodone addiction and has a son who maybe gets involved with it. Um, that was a composite of real people that I knew from my life. My mother had a family member um, whose son was murdered. And uh, there was a time before which he had been brought to justice, but they knew who he was. And so she used to go and drive her car over to his house and sit outside in the car watching his house for hours or days. And I just thought that was so fascinating and and what would that feel like? Um, and so so that was a bit of the imagination. Um, and uh, and 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 then the other characters, you know, the supplementary characters, the dean, the you know, the Lily Depp who plays uh, you know Jake's sister who has a heroin addiction. I mean, she modeled that directly on another friend of ours who struggled with heroin addiction. Um, is is winning at this point. Uh, but, you know, so everything is drawn from real life. And then as, as someone smarter than me, I think it was Norman Mailer said, you filter it through the prism of memory. Yeah. And I, I related to, I think I know a lot of people who would feel like the mother, um, the architect and the ethical professor, I think I'd like put maybe myself in that spot. And then the DA agent, uh, we have uh, our narcotics 10 team that responds to every overdose of fentanyl in our county. They're working endlessly. And uh, Ed Byrne, who, who is on High Truths, I think I'd, I'd put him on that for that one. But Big Pharma is is featured in crisis like you mentioned and i was wondering if you were thinking of a specific drug um that the pharmaceutical was touting as miraculous and non-addicting um because i thought of a couple that i related to as well when well you're not going to get me uh, to say here because um uh you know although i'm doing okay i i'd, I'd like to avoid you know bankruptcy libel and uh you know debtors prison <laughs> Uh, so I think that shows really how powerful the pharmaceutical industry and lobby is that e even I, as a fairly crazy person would be afraid to name specific names here. Um, but let's say, so would I be crazy if I named one? Uh, well, you know, you can speculate to your heart. I have two that I thought of, um, Right away. And because because I was watching the movie with my family and they were thinking, is that real? And it's like, yeah, I could think of a couple of them. Um, one is Tramadol, uh, very all tram. And it's to this day advertised as less addicting and safer than and as a non-opioid. But yet it's an opioid. It's a synthetic opioid and people get addicted to it. And um, there are actually even more side effects in hydrocodone. So I thought of that one because that's still not common in the public. And then the other one, well, was I, I was at ONDCP and this cord cried a stir, but Desuvia, it's a, a new, very strong opioid, 10 times stronger than fentanyl. And it was meant to be used in the battlefield. They need it for, you know, soldiers who are out in Afghanistan and Iraq or wherever they may go to help. Um, and it was approved by the FDA 
once it's FDA approved, it opens up Pandora's box and, you know, well, you know, hospitals are going to use it and paramedics are going to use it. And, and we're in the middle of an opioid crisis. <laughs> I don't know if you heard those stories. Um, well, I think, you know, I, I, I mean, those are not the specific models, um, although I was mm -hmm. aware, you know, I was aware of many of these. I mean, there, there have been, you know, uh, I believe there was a product called Subsys, um, and I, I think, I don't want to claim this, but I'm pretty sure there's some of those in, executives are in jail or, um, or, 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 or certainly been threatened to be there. Um, and, you know, the, 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 the largest selling pill there for a while, I think, uh, was probably OxyContin. Um, certainly that was a highly diverted pill. And I mean, that was a time release, um, oxycodone, right? Uh, and I guess there was a lot of questions about whether that time release mechanism was the problem because it worked well for some people, but for other people, you know, they, they needed more drug before time was up, hence creating the dependence cycle. Um, so, uh, listen, I don't think, you know, and I, I went out of my way here, maybe not enough, but, uh, you know, to not portray the pharmaceutical uh, executives in the film as these mush mustache twirling villains, because I don't think anyone mm -hmm. is a villain. I mean, I don't know, maybe no. Pol Pot or, uh, you know, whoever. Uh, uh, but, um, uh, you know, I think everyone is the hero of their own story. And, and even knowing people that work in the pharma industry at relatively high levels, um, look, there's so many wonderful, you know, my a family member of mine has cancer. He's alive 10 years due to some highly experimental medications. Um, and these are not alternative medications. <laughs> like I'm Mr. Skeptic, Mr. Science, you know, this is lab stuff. Um, you know, right. so, so, so we know the pharmaceutical industry is an essential and, 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 and wonderful, um, area. But I think here we saw with opioid manufacturing, uh, and discovery as well as marketing, um, you know, that's, and that's the did thing. It, did it go from being, you know, a great life-saving drug or what, you know, life-affirming drug, what, enabling people with chronic pain, you know, to, uh, Hey, this is the pill of the week. Let's get this out there. Let's get this into the doctor's hands. You know, maybe they could get a trip right, to Florida, right. uh, you know, and then all of a sudden people are writing it for two things. Um, I mean, why is it we had, we had morphine in the civil war. We gave it to soldiers on the battlefield. We didn't have hundreds of thousands or millions of opioid overdeaths, overdose deaths back then. So something must mm -hmm. have happened in the late 80s or late 90s. Hmm, could it have something to do with certain patents being granted and exploited, uh, you know, that led to, boom, this explosion? And I think that's, a, in many ways, that was a marketing question. And I, I like how you say it. Nobody's the hero or the villain, but but marketing can be greedy, you know, um, where you're chasing the money instead of the science and helping people. And I, I know when I became a doctor in the 1990s, I was, you know, one of the few people were actually going into emergency medicine at the time. And I was told your profession is not doing enough for pain. You're under treating pain. And uh, I was too young to argue with that. It's like, but you just have a boo-boo. Do I really have to give you 10 Percocets? It's like, okay, here you go. Well, did you um, ever read Barry that, Meyer's that, book? Uh, Which one? You know, he, he wrote that wonderful book about pain maybe 15 or 20 years ago. Um, and it really went into, I mean, he, you know, there were subsequent books, you dope sick and all these other things. 
But, right, but I, I think Barry Meyer was the original guy who pointed out, well, you know, the studies that they were using, the Dr. Jick study about pain management. Oh, only 1% of people get uh, addicted or whatever. Yes. Right? Nobody gets, nobody gets addicted. Yeah, right, because it wasn't even a study. Science. It was just a it letter to a the editor. Right. That's right. And, 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 and then, I But see that became the rallying actually, cry of, uh, of, hey, let's Absolutely. get this out there. And then, and then I think you bring up another thing, which is, and I, this was fascinating. We didn't get too deep into this in the movie because, hey, it's a movie. It's only mm -hmm. so much time. But, you know, the unfortunate situation where, where, where a doctor's compensation or their uh, continued employment is related to patient satisfaction. And, Absolutely. and how do you satisfy a pain that. patient, you know, well, you can't measure pain, right? You have to ask the patient, what's your level of pain? As so if they say, yeah. hey, I'm up here and you don't give them your pain meds, they're going to give you a zero when they leave and then you're fired. That's so, right. you know, you got to exactly. keep above water. <laughs> like, All right, I guess you I need it. Tell you you've know? done your research. That's exactly what happened because I'll ask my patients, okay, on a scale one to 10, how bad is your pain? And they would say, 20, doctor, it's 20. And I'll write down 20 out of 10 pain while eating chips and texting on their phone. Um, and uh, and I said that if you want, and we ha I used to do Medicare reviews. People would send charts and it's like, okay, you know, this patient came to the hospital with 9 out of 10 pain, but he was discharged from the hospital with a 7 out of 10 pain. And how come you didn't do more? And I wanted to type in my review, if you want zero pain you could be either dead or on a ventilator otherwise it's just not a not a reasonable answer but um and we don't want to go to the other extreme i call it uh, goldilocks prescribing not too much not too little you have to be just right we can't go to any of the extremes i like that i mean my father's a doctor uh so when i was growing up and i'm sure you'll appreciate this it's like doctors kids they get nothing right so no, I could have right. come in with my <laughs> nothing. Hey, Dad, my hand's hanging off because I just walked into a buzz saw, and he'd be like, "That's tough. Yeah. Maybe try cold compress." You know. So for him to suggest that I take one aspirin would be a big deal. The idea that he would ever give a pain pill would, you know, you, you, you'd have to be near vivisected. That's that's so right, Nick. And that's the kind of mother I am. It's like, do you really need a Motrin? And they're like, my kids are like, I'm not a drug addict. I just asked for a Motrin. It's like, you know, no, you don't. I mean, and my kids, yeah, they would do the same thing you are like, I can't walk. I can't breathe. I can't that. And I'll look at them. Nah, you look fine to me. Yeah. Toughen up. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly right. So you obviously did a lot of research uh, into the movie. One thing that struck me, um, the first thing scene is you see these pills on the white snow and they're green. Um, and then I saw the pictures of them in close up and it's like the uh, circle oxy 30 pills that are really on the street right now. But now on the street, they're blue. Is there a reason? And maybe this is a silly question that you picked green. Uh, you know, we had we I mean, this was this. I would say we spent at least five hours on this decision. Uh, <laughs> We ended up, I mean, we went and we found all of these different, uh, you know, pictures that came from the, from the law enforcement case files. Mm -hmm. And so we, this was a common color that we saw in the illicitly manufactured pills. Right. Uh, we call them the so, blue oxys, the blue well, oxy thirties. No. So the, the, yeah, the, the blues are the roxies. Uh, so roxycodone is usually comes in blue. Um, mm -hmm. and, and the street name for those was blues. 
But we right. found that people, uh, you know, the, the 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 prior generation, the the ones that were more oxycontin based, often yeah. would be either amber or green. Uh, and so, depending on what their milligram dosage was, but keep in mind, you know, this is illicitly manufactured fentanyl that's coming from precursor chemicals. So we saw that they, the the counterfeiters, you know, or the 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 illicit manufacturers, they they used a variety of colors, and for some reason, this one just felt. Uh, a little, a little striking to us, um, but you know, we ended up having to become a manufacturer. So we bought, you know, those, those that we made those, and we made. Did you them buy in, those fake we, pill presses no, we, that we, should be? Yeah, we we bought the real press. We bought from China the wow. same thing the drug dealers well, are using, and they were like five thousand. Be careful press. that they don't think and, that you're like a drug dealer now. Well, so by the way, we we bought those, <laughs> and then we made we made like tens of thousands of pills, and then at a certain point, you're making a movie and. Uh, and you, you always need more money. So someone in the prop department, a couple of them got together and they said, listen, Nick, we were just thinking, why don't we just get, we can or go on Alibaba and order some of the precursor. Like we could just make the real stuff, <laughs> sell it, and we'll have some more money to shoot the film. And I said, listen, guys, I don't, right. I don't know that we can go down that road on this one, <laughs> but I appreciate the ingenuity. Was it hard for you to just, did you just go on Amazon and buy a, a Oxy pill press? I, I don't know, you know, movie prop people are like, uh, they're like warlocks. They can get, they can get anything. I don't know how they get wow. it. I don't know if they go to like a secret meeting of other movie people or they, they have some type of Star Trek replicator, but anything you can imagine with usually within 24 hours, they can be like, here's the Shroud of Turin, you know? And it's, it, it's if it's not the real one, it's an identical replica. So you mentioned your dad's a doctor. Is uh, is he impressed with all your new gained medical knowledge? Uh, uh, maybe you taught uh, him something. He's um, you know, he's a psychiatrist, uh, but um. he was very active in um, in the '60s. He wrote a well-known textbook called Modern Psychiatric Treatment uh, with Dr. Thomas Detry, mm -hmm. and they were both at Yale. Um, and uh, and but he was very big in, believe it or not, psychopharmacology. And he was one of the original proponents uh, back when they were laughing at him and saying talk therapy is the only effective thing to do. Um, so he would work with severely addicted people, suicidal people, uh, you know, sexual abuse survivors. Uh, I mean, you know, I mean, these stories I heard as a kid, people jumping out windows and setting themselves on fire. And he had a big outpatient practice there at Yale. Um, and, uh, but he was, you know, they said that the, he said they used to call him a pill pusher. And so, you know, pretty much he would come in and he'd be like, yep, uh, let me talk to you for two minutes. Okay. Here's my diagnosis. Boom. Here's a script. You take some lithium a go. And, well, don't you want to hear about my mother? And it's no, I have no interest. Just take no. the lithium, come back in a week. <laughs> you know? So he really is a, a very scientifically oriented, uh, treatment person. Um, but you know, for those that need it in those extreme cases that he was dealing with, and believe it or not, he's a, a major investor in a drug discovery firm and now has been working on something in the realm of schizophrenia. Uh, so, um, you know, it's, uh, it, it's very interesting. I mean, he, he's, he's, uh, he had a lifelong fascination with the role of pharmaceuticals in psychiatric treatment. Interesting. And, um, I wanted to ask if you heard of a couple of other things since you're doing so much research. One of the very first cases of uh, vaping fentanyl death came from San Diego. And I didn't know if you knew people are like vaping fentanyl now. And and recently we had um, 
a, a surge of babies who were overdosing on fentanyl, and 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 that was really important to the medical community because you have a you know baby down and they're doing CPR and giving epinephrine and put them a baby on the ventilator, um, and uh, um, and they survived, and then they tested positive for fentanyl. People don't think that a baby can overdose on fentanyl, um, and so we actually had to you know, send out an alert to the medical community to say, hey, think baby down, think naloxone to, re, re, you know, babies are getting into that. So, so. I guess they're starting <laughs> young these days. Or your stories. Yeah. Or, or they're know. getting into the mom's purse or on the, <laughs> and on the carpet. Yeah. Well, you know, that's, we, we actually deal with this in the film just a little bit um, in the lab uh, where they're making the fentanyl. Um, all the guys are wearing gloves and ga and 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 filtration masks and 95s yeah. because uh, you know we found that was the case from law enforcement that Steve Offerman would tell me you know when they would go in and do these busts they'd have to wear these hazmat suits because even a few you know kernels of fentanyl can be fatal right yeah. Uh, yeah. and and yeah. so that was you know and they go into these Hell's Angels biker places where they're making the stuff and you know there's no there's no quality control. <laughs> no. We we uh, had we had a case here in San Diego where an officer overdosed. He went into the crime area. He had it on his lunch bag. I don't know why he ended up having evidence on his lunch bag. And then and he overdosed, went down and his partner got him back. I, I used to talk at conferences back when we had conferences before COVID and I'd offer pre free prescription of naloxone to anybody who needed it. Yeah. No questions asked. Just yeah. like a pill mill, uh, like those doctors, but for naloxone. And the biggest line of people who would line up and want a prescription for me was law enforcement. That was kind of interesting. And I, I have a personal story with with fentanyl I wanted to share with you because I bet you're hearing a lot of that as well. But um, one of my personal all-time heroes, uh, a man named uh, Jonathan Morales, is he's a Border Patrol agent who became a national hero after going after the gunmen um, who entered the synagogue that were murdered my best friend, Lori Kay. Ooh. And he was voted law enforcement officer of the year. And his job is to guard the Mexican border, um, you know, not far from us, uh, from drugs and other things. And his 18-year-old daughter graduated high school, middle of a pandemic, decided college is not her thing, went out with friends and died from an Oxy-30 just like the one on your show crisis. So uh -huh. it's very tragic. And I'm wondering if you're with the show now, you're hearing a lot more stories like that. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's, uh, there, you know, it, it's, 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 it's sad. Uh, you hear those stories all the time, you know, uh, I, I actually, we had people reach out to us on this film that their son had died this week. You know, uh, oh. was there something to do about it? I mean, it's honestly, it's so tragic. I don't even really want to think about it. Um, you yeah, know, you seem like a happy it, guy, it, not a, not a sad kind of guy, but yeah, it is. <laughs> it touches. <laughs> it's, um, but you know, this is the thing also that I wanted to get across with this film. And we made this little featurette, Gary Oldman and I, uh, where he says, you know, addiction doesn't discriminate. Um, no it crosses over all walks of life and it's hit like a category five hurricane. And we tend to think of the disenfranchised and the people on the fringes of society as those with drug problems. But this, uh, this epidemic has reached your son, your brother, you know, your mom. Uh, and, and I think it's hit home. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why 
we see an engagement with it. I mean, the sad fact is we just did this podcast the other day with Shatterproof, which is a wonderful organization. You know what? You know, I focused. just had Gary on right before you. Amazing. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, the, the numbers are the uh, opioid abuse has trended up during the pandemic, right? Because it's yeah, off the front yeah. page. And uh, uh, I mean, frankly, I, I must say I've been a bit disappointed with the uh, major presses. Like we got a lot of entertainment press and things like that. And I have some friends at the New York Times help shine a light on what we're doing. But you know, a lot of the major science press and stuff hasn't really engaged with this film. I think they just don't know about it or aren't paying attention to it. But, you know, anything that can be done to kind of keep this alive in the public's mind, um, you know, we'd love to be doing these podcasts every day uh, just to get people talking and, and get people watching the film, get them debating the issues in it, and then figuring out what is the right move for it. Is it Gary? Is it Shatterproof? Is it destigmatization, decriminalization? I mean, I think We've made progress in this country, but there's still a long way to go to understand that addiction's a disease um, and that it requires treatment, treatment, treatment. That's it. You know, it doesn't yeah. require any uh, criminal criminalization, doesn't require any blah, blah. It just requires someone caring. Uh, and, and when I was researching this film, so I went to Detroit, you know, which uh, part of the movie set there. And I thought it's my mother's from there. It used to be a very beautiful city and it's fallen into great decay. Um, but I went around to the eight mile there and the areas where there are a lot of drug abusers, a lot of heroin addicts. And I went into some treatment places and this was a joke. You walk in, give them $30, here's your methadone. You don't even need to show your ID. I mean, the, 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 yeah. the, 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 the it, was, it was ridiculous. It was just a little, another private for-profit, blah, blah. Here's the stuff, give me the money, bye-bye. Uh, you know, so so I think that's really where the energy should go. I uh, well, that's that's my field. I I um, lay at night thinking about uh, solutions and treatment is important, but you never fix a problem with just treatment if you don't talk about prevention. And we actually we've ended the prescription opioid epidemic in this country, and we did it. Um, the, the ones are coming from you know my profession. We we ended that through prevention from learning, um, keeping people alive who are already taking it and by um, not creating a new generation of Americans who are addicted. So if we don't add prevention in that, we're just creating a pipeline of people who are becoming addicted. And yes, treatment is always important and essential, but you're not, you're not going to get rid of COVID if you don't prevent COVID. You'll, we can treat COVID in, you know, in the hospital and we have you know, medications now, um, but if we don't have a vaccine, um, we'll never get rid of of that and that's and and addictions like any other disease if we don't work on prevention we 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 can work on treatment if we don't work on prevention then we'll still have more um speaking of pandemic uh how is your industry and how are you faring through through that i mean i've been very lucky um i i i, I uh i'm up here in uh in hollywood um my parents are vaccinated now. Uh, and so um, so it's been nice. I mean, it really has kind of ground a lot of production to a halt for, for a while. Now we're starting to get back to work, um, you know, putting projects together. I mean, there's safeguards that you have to follow that are quite complicated when you think of how many, you know, a couple hundred people on a movie set and how, where are they tiered? And uh, so, so that's, you know, but the, we have professional organizations like the Directors Guild um, that's worked to figure out those COVID protocols. 
Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, the thing is the exhibition business has been really hurt. So normally we'd have this movie in thousands of theaters, um, but it's available now to stream at home. We put it in a few hundred theaters and did very well, but those were areas where there was either less COVID or they felt more comfortable with it for whatever reason. Um, but so we came to the home um, and I was, I was very surprised by the reception to the film. We, we charted up to number one. We were the number one most rented movie in America cool. um, on iTunes for, for almost two weeks. Um, and so that was very exciting. Um, and, and I think it demonstrates that there's a public interest in this topic and a hunger for, Absolutely uh, for is. this data. Yeah. Uh, I watched it. I watched it at home on, um, on Amazon. Fantastic. Did you um, yeah. leave a nice review? Uh, no, I'm not. Okay, a good, well, please I'm, do. I'm not a good hack, <laughs> but okay, I'll promote. Well, but I'll promote have, it in other ways. <laughs> okay, or have your have one of your family members just yeah. Uh, I have my kids do it for me. There you go. Uh, That's what they're there for. Um, product placement. Did you do you have any product placement in in um in the movie? And I and I have yeah. We got a bunch of money from the Chinese fentanyl people. Uh, <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, um, what did we have in there? We had, sorry, go ahead. Well, I, the reason I thought of that is because when I started this podcast, I made a call out to Hollywood, like, Hey, we need product placement of an, an addiction medicine doctor, you know, who's, a, who's a hero. When I started my career, I, as I mentioned, there, were, there weren't a lot of ER doctors or a lot of emergency medicine programs. And then the show ER came out and then boom, it became the most, you know, coveted specialty there is. Luckily I got in before that boom. And, uh, and now, you know, now, you know, people can't get into emergency medicine, but addiction medicine, we have 60 fellowship programs and we need 120 to meet the demand that we have in our country. So I was thinking, Hey, we need some product placement of an addiction medicine doctor. How do you do that? How would you, how would we advocate for that? Product placement, meaning getting, I don't know if that, and maybe I'm not using the right word, but maybe we just need a, a hero addiction medicine character. So more people would. Oh, want, I see you want. Yes. That, you know. that character brought to the fore in, in cinema or in television. Uh, well, I guess mm -hmm. you you will have to write the screenplay uh, about uh -huh. such a compelling, perhaps a very beautiful, uh, you know, addiction medicine specialist who also uh, moonlights as a, a radio host. Ah, there we go. Okay. Yeah. And then she can, uh, yeah. Then she, she treats an overdose patient who's on a ventilator and doesn't have a name and nobody knows who he is. And then she connects him with a law enforcement agent who does, you know, a knock on the door and there's a whole bunch of other people who were have overdosed. And now we did contact tracing like we do for infectious disease, but with addiction. And then there's this big drug bus and now we don't have an epidemic. And then at the end of the story, there's just a new drug that's even worse than what we started with that's a true story i i i, I, I sounds like <laughs> that sounds like a good 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 script I'm, good little I'd, pitch. I'd love to yeah. read it yeah it's I, it's I don't know how to write scripts but i just i do do real life so in real life yeah we're 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 doing that the the other thought i, I is to hollywood had a really important role in um decreasing tobacco use and making it yeah. unpopular, right? Really important. I mean, if we had to point out like one thing that really made a difference in, in tobacco in our country, it's, it's Hollywood. And I wonder if Hollywood would play a, a role in prevention 
with addiction, like don't share your pills, don't grab a Xanax for anxiety, uh, show the scrometing effects from chronic marijuana use, and, and just kind of show good drug prevention, um, you know, put that, you know, work that into scripts instead of like, oh, I'm so anxious, I need a Xanax, you know, that's, well, that's not good. I spend a lot of time doing researching that and and just want the public to be con informed consumers, right? So if you're smoking, I say this on all podcasts, but if you're smoking, you know that you're, you know, you can get cancer or lung disease and it's bad for your health and you may secondhand smoke and go smoke somewhere else. And uh, if you still want to smoke, well, you know, that's your, that's your thing. And uh, I think the same with marijuana, you just need to know um, the things that the public doesn't know, like, hey, did you know they had a twofold increase incidence of testicular cancer? Did you know that it affects your heart and lungs? Did you know about psychosis? Do you know about these other things? And, and if you still know and you're informed and you want to do it, then yeah, I don't think you should go to jail for that. Absolutely. And what's what's next for you? What's the next movie? Uh, I'm working on something now. Um, you, you, you never really know as a filmmaker uh, you know, it's sort of basically whatever, uh, whatever of my ideas that isn't terrible that they give me the money for. Uh, so I'm working on something actually about a woman who is a, uh, you know, a real American hero, a helicopter pilot, a, a true story, um, and uh, won the Purple Heart and uh, was involved in search and rescue and, and changing things in the military uh, to make it a little bit more of an equitable organization. Um, so we're working on that now. We're just uh, seeing if we can put that together and, and and get up in the air, so to speak. Oh, very cool. Get up in the air. And she's a helicopter pilot, like you meant that. Very cool. Um, Cindy asked a second question of you. Will you be willing to lend your voice in our prevention products in San Diego? Um, sure. And, and uh, the follow-up for that is we actually have a very large conference in November, the Western Opioid and Stimulant Summit. It's a, you know, a large audience. We bring people. It's really throughout the entire country. And uh, maybe uh, you could be a keynote speaker and, and tell us about, show a little film on crisis and, and your experience. And I would love us. that. Yeah. I would love that. Yeah. I mean, anything to advance these discussions. I, I think, you know, what you're doing here is, is, is terrific. And, um, uh, you know, we wanted to make a film that was a, a, an entertaining film and a fun film, you know, that, that, that was gripping. And, but at the same time, I, to me, it was important to advance the discussion of these topics. So, um, because I do think even as much as you hear about it, um, you know, some silly, somebody wrote online, like, oh, everybody knows all this already. Um, no, they don't, you know, they, they, they don't, I don't think people understand how this came to be, the role of the companies, the role of law enforcement. I mean, it, 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 it and, and frankly, I don't think enough has been done. Uh, it's, it, you know. Enough is, is not done. And it, and they can't know it all because it changes from day to day. Like I told you, vaping, you know, or babies or, um, you know, new drugs that are coming out new, um, you know, now there we're finding it, uh, animal tranquilizers in the fentanyl, you know, so there's, there's always something new. It's, it's not a static thing. Um, and, and the understanding that addiction is a chronic disease of the brain that has treatment is something that we should always be promoting. So I thank you for the movie. We're, we're very, you know, I think that that 
that you have power that we don't, you know, I have all these ideas of solutions that, you know, I could do at a local level, or even, even when I was at the white house, you know, you try to push an agenda, but when, when it's in Hollywood and it's on film, you have a, a, a bigger audience than any of us little people can have. So I really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate that. And, and, but, 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 you know, I think it's uh Look, any type of uh, any type of activism, or what do they say? All politics is local politics, you know. <laughs> yeah. So it's 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 whether or not we have ten million people see the film or a hundred. You know, I'm I'm always happy to talk one on one with anybody that engages in the film and takes something meaningful from it. Um, you know, and think together can we advance this discussion even further? So I hope people get to check out the film, which is Crisis, and um, available uh, anywhere you've got an internet connection or a television. And you can learn more about it on Twitter or Instagram at Crisis Movie. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, we'd be happy to help you in any way that we can. Awesome. And I would like to thank Cindy for her question to, to you and to High Truths. Um, Cindy, you're an amazing community leader, a beautiful way of including people, resourceful in your advocacy and our drug crisis. And may you and your family have much health and success. And um, Nicholas Jarecki, thank you so much for your film crisis and bringing the issue of fentanyl to the movies. You've been very gracious to uh, come onto our show on High Truths. And uh, like I mentioned, Hollywood has a power of action that that uh, others don't have and I am sure that, that, that as this gets promoted your movie gets promoted I hope that that inspires more activism and I want to wish you success in your creative endeavors and and uh, maybe you'll do that product placement of an addiction doctor or, or a good behavior of preventions and and the most important blessing I think I can give you um, and your colleagues is that may you never need my services an emergency or addiction doctor unless it's for creative purposes. <laughs> <laughs> um well listen it was a pleasure being here with you and 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 we're here we're here for the long haul so so we want to be supportive however we can thank you for listening to high truths on drugs and addiction where national experts give you facts and answer your questions this week's episode would not be possible without the generous support from our sponsors a sincere and warm thank you to ccr center for community research in san diego enhancing public health and safety through informed action. We want to hear from you. Post a comment or email us about one thing you learned from this program. We thank you for listening and hope you will help our rating by giving us a five-star review. And subscribe so you won't miss any of our information-packed weekly shows. Visit our website, hightruths.com, to submit a question, take a quiz, or download a free prescription for naloxone. Until next week, this is High Truths on Drugs and Addiction. Our producer is Dave Rivas from Davey Boy Productions, and I am your host, Dr. Oni Lev. We hope we brought your day a little bit more High Truths. <laughs>